0: Mark chapter two, beginning in verse one, if you would stand as I read or as you get there, flip there, hear the word of the Lord. When he, that is Jesus, had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug the opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak this way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven or to say, Get up, pick up your pallet and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Get up. Pick up your pallet and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone. So that they were all amazed and were glorifying God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Let's pray. Father, how wonderful are the treasures that our eyes behold in your word. Our hearts are hearing. We pray that you would give us grace to hear in faith. And we would have transformed hearts and uncovered eyes and unplugged ears. Because everything in this world and everything in our flesh and everything in Satan's power wants to blind our eyes, plug our ears and harden our hearts. And so, Lord, we need your kingly subduing power to subdue our adversary, to subdue our flesh and to open our eyes. And so, Father, now I pray that everything that proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard, for the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So would you speak, Lord? Father in heaven, speak. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So Jesus has gone on a preaching tour. Uh, I'm sure there were many billboards before him. There were advertisements and uh, commercials on the TVs of all the villages around Galilee telling of this great revival preacher's arrival in these various towns. Is it bad to start out a sermon with sarcasm? Because I just did that. Um. Jesus went to backwater towns and he was going to backwater towns. And then, then he was forced because if you remember, as we ended last week, the, because of the lepers, uh, um, blabber mouth, I don't want to say, you know, because the leper who was healed, he had no, he just sort of spouted off everywhere that Jesus had done this. And because, so Jesus was already planning to go to sort of unknown places. And then he had to really go to really unknown places He was forced out into desolate areas, to desolate places, because he he couldn't go to the populated place. The the New American Standard here says he had to go to unpopulated places. And because of the, the leper's work, the one who was once a leper, made clean. Only those who had the predilection or the desire or some drawing force, only those who went out into these wilderness areas were the ones to hear Jesus face-to-face. So he goes on this tour to, I mean, wastelands. You know, it's not that bad, but he would go go to open fields, you know, he'd go to desert areas, and he would kind of set up shop. And finally, he came back home to Capernaum. And again, this this is home base for Jesus. Capernaum is Uh, Again, that that village on the northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee. And there's good reason to think that when it says he came home, that Jesus did not have like a rented house that he came back to that was his own because he says elsewhere, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. But the home here is probably Peter's mother-in-law's home where he was set up shop before he left Capernaum. So he has sort of a, a place to go in Capernaum. And as it was learned that he was there, Again, he's not, there's no, there's no broadcast happening. He's simply there. Jesus is the attractant. Jesus is the attractant. Jesus is what drawing, draws these people out. And they all gather together there. There's not even room near the door They're, they're slamming the house. And I, and this isn't the point of the sermon. We're too early for, for to get into everything. But as I as I've meditated and thought about and, and just I, I want us to be that church where Jesus is the draw. Right. We do everything we want to. We want to do all these sorts of things that, you know, have, have the have the good, you know, good programs and good ministries and good ways to serve you. But I want you here because Jesus is among us. That was one of them. And, and I'm not going to name names because they're present. But someone who was I was talking to about membership recently and they they looked at me and said that that they wanted to be here because God is here. And my my heart did flip flops. You know, it's just like that's what that's the people we want to be. I don't want you here. I mean, it's great. You get connected to a people, you get connected to a group, you you like the music, you like the preaching, you like the, the ministries that we do. Those are all good things. But be where you are because of Christ. And there's something at the same time to a lost world. There's something about Jesus that is simultaneously attractive and offensive to the world around us. There's something about Jesus that is simultaneously attractive and offensive and we'll kind of press into that, but there's there, there's an attraction here. They're they're slamming the door. They're, I mean, they're 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 piling in, and Jesus is speaking the word. Some translations say he's preaching the word, but the the word they're speaking it's it's a regular. So it's almost as though you, you, Jesus is having this conversation about the word of God. So thus far, we've seen Jesus. Uh, he has been preaching. He's been teaching, which in Mark Gospel is something that is particular for jesus that he jesus is usually the one who's teaching others might preach and um so he's preaching teaching but here he's he's speaking and i don't want to press this point too far but as we think about communicating the word of god there are forums and times for proclamation with added effects Uh, and there's times for teaching more deliberate, intentional breaking down at a slower pace. And then there are times of this sort of conversational communication. And what I want to say to you is that you might not be called to or have the platform or whatever to to participate in proclamation communication of the word or of teaching communication of the word, perhaps, maybe with your kids or grandkids or in your home, but in a public setting. That might not be what God has called you to do, but I promise you, all of you are called to speak the word. You have a, you have a communicative responsibility to translate Jesus to other people via verbs and nouns and adverbs, etc. to use words to tell about Jesus. So Jesus is speaking the word and they brought. And so there's this slam of people and Jesus is having this sort of conversational communication with people about the word of God. They're in the house, outside the house. And they're, so it's one of those things where people are, are, are discussing and people are listening in. And then this something, something changes. Something is, is driving through the crowd. And could you imagine? So you have these four men who are carrying their friend. We assume that it's their friend. Maybe it's one of their relatives. They have, they have a great care about this man. <coughs> Excuse me. So the paralytic, I mean, I mean, a paralytic means he's paralyzed. There is, in the paralytic, we see a visible picture of inability. There is no way for the man to get to where he needs to go. On a daily basis, and there's no way for the man to get in front of Jesus. There's no way on his own. Devoid of community to get to Jesus. If you remember the story there in John chapter five of the man who has been uh, lame for 38 years and he and when Jesus comes and Jesus says to him, do you want to get better? This is a little bit of a paraphrase. Do you want to get better? And he's like, I have no one to put me into the pool. Go read that story. I have no one. I'm I'm here all alone. And so I've been been sitting here 38 years all alone. But this man is not alone in Mark chapter 2. That there are some who are full of faith surrounding him. And they have enough faith in God and now in Christ. And enough care about this man to see that this man who is in need meets the God that they have faith in. Notice that nowhere in the story are we given any sort of light into into the condition of the paralytic in terms of his faith. Jesus sees their faith. He sees the faith of these men who are carrying him so that their faith is driving them through the crowd with their lame, broken, enabled friend in tow and they can't there's no room i mean could you imagine if you've ever been in a pressing crowd it's enough for you to get through it much less you and three other buddies and another buddy that you're trying to carry to get through a crowd they couldn't do it and so they they would sneak they sort of sneaked up on the roof now when you think about roof don't think about your roof probably I haven't been to all of your houses. I don't know what they all look like. Uh, but the roofs in the, in the first century there, where they were uh, flat-topped, and they were meant to have some, uh, some people to be on them. So they're not, they wouldn't be gabled, right? I'm not an architect, so this is where my, and they wouldn't have shingles. So it wouldn't be that, you know, anyway, it wouldn't be like this. It would be like this. So they climb up, and they bring their friend, and they begin to dig through. They, they unpeel tile and they, they pull up the floor up there and they begin to dig through. And could you imagine as Jesus is down there, as the crowd is down there, and it begins to sprinkle on them. Everybody's like, what is, you know, there's, there's dirt, there's debris beginning to fall on their heads. And the power of love and the power of faith is saying, I'm going to get my friend in front of Jesus. No matter the cost, no matter what it takes, whatever it takes, this guy is going to get in front of him. Simultaneously, we see in their act, this act of love and this act of faith, we see simultaneously the power of faith in Christ and the power of love for other people. The power of love for other people, like they've, they've brought their friend from wherever gotten him off of his bed, driven through the crowd, gone up on the, on the rooftop, dug through the roof, and now they're lowering their friend. The power of love. The love of friend and love of the, of the hurting, but also the power of faith. But undergirding all of that is the power of community. Community. And if we were to do a survey of the people who are believers in the room, say, if you're a Christian, who are the people? It might be just one. Maybe it was more than one. But who were your four men? Who you've heard it said, you know, um, when I was growing up, I had a, had a drug problem. A mama drug me to church. Right. <laughs> like who was it? Who was it that made sure that you got in front of Jesus? Who was it that invested in you and and loved you and communicated the gospel? Who was it that drug you to church? Who was it that, that stayed on you about following Jesus? Who wouldn't let you run away? Who was that person? Who were those people? I could tell you stories of, obviously, my mom and my dad were big pieces of that. My sister, my grandfather And then different seasons of my life as different trials came upon me and different, uh, you know, during college and during seminary. There were people that God placed into my life that cared about me enough to make sure that I went in front of Jesus. They prayed for me. They spoke the word to me. They told me the truth when it hurt. Who are those people? One question for you. Two, are you those sorts of people for other people? Have you ever taken up the corner of the pallet, so to speak? Have you ever taken up the person who is unable to get to Jesus? They seemed they seemed that they had no care about Christ. They had no care about their soul. They had no care about eternity. But have you ever been the person who says, I'm going to go to God in prayer as long as it takes Have you ever been the person saying, I'm going to have that conversation no matter how awkward it's going to be. I care about this person and I believe in Jesus. I believe that he's able to change this person. I believe he's able to save. Have you ever been that person? Do you have those people? And that might be a point of application. If you don't have those people, seek that out. And one way to do that is begin asking, God, would you give me people? Not just people that know me, but people that know me. The people who are going to take me up and bring me to Jesus, so to speak. They're going to pray for me. They're going to get into the word for me. They're going to speak the truth to me. And then be that person for other people. Be the encourager. Be the encourager that picks the person who's on the mat, picks them up and says, Let's go to prayer, picks them up and let's go to church, picks them up and say, let's go do something fun, but picks them up and gets them in front of Jesus. So this paralytic is lowered down in front of Christ by the faith of his friends. And Jesus says to him, son, your sins are forgiven. And for us church folk, we're saying, hey, that's great. But the dude laying on a pallet saying, I'm not here for that. Right. Have they have they fought the crowd? And, you know, it's like a mosh pit. Have they thrown elbows and climbed the roof and dug a hole for Jesus to 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 wave absolution over the man? Because the perceived problem is that his paralysis is his greatest issue. In his mind, the paralysis and his physical ailment is the biggest problem he has. And he's there and his friends have brought him there to fix that Jesus says, Your sins are forgiven. May I lay before you that what you perceive to be your gravest issue possibly is not. What your physical body is feeling, what your mental mind is experiencing, the difficulties of your relationships in this world, those things are issues, and I'm not making light of them. But your bigger problem is your own sin. In, 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 in a roundabout way, that's exactly what Jesus says to the paralytic. I, I mean, Jesus isn't an idiot, right? He's the Son of God. He knows what's going on. He says, I know you're here for that, but let me forgive your sins. Let me, let me deal with the problem that you have that you might not know. That's the thing about sin. Not only does it deceive us, it just deceives us in a a million different ways, but it deceives us about our need because of its deception. We deceive ourselves. Saying, well, if God would just fix If he would fix my marriage and he would fix my relationships with my kids and he would fix my job and and then I would get paid a little bit more and my back would quit hurting and my knees would quit hurting or something as significant. If this cancer would just leave, then finally I would be free. And that is a it's so easy, right? It's so easy to say, yeah, if I could get rid of all that, that would be great. Get rid of all those things and add these great things. Give me, give me eternal health. Like we act like we're going to be well forever in a broken world. we act like we're not decaying and like we're not going to die. If I just have my health, if I have a roof over my head and I've got food on the table, those are all good things, gifts from a good God. (coughs) But all of those things, are not your greatest problem. They're not my greatest problem. I've had a, a week full of problems. I've been sick. My wife's been sick. My baby's been sick. Trying to keep the other two babies not being sick. And it's just like, Lord, what are you doing? Life is real and life happens. But when you get in front of Jesus, the thing that matters most is the condition of your heart before God. God. Are your sins forgiven in Christ or are they not? Dear one, you will have no peace of soul in this life or for eternity if your sins are not forgiven. You could have literally everything this world has to offer. You could have all of the health that you have. You could dream of for 130 years. You could have all the money you could dream of, all the good, wholesome relationships all the wonderful pets and things that we take delight in. You can have all of those things and all of the difficulties of this world removed. And if your sins are not forgiven, then you will not be at peace. And sometimes we go to God like this paralytic. We go to God saying, Here's my stuff. Would you fix it? And Jesus looks at us and he says, Here are my nail pierced hands. Here are my nail pierced feet. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And you're thinking, yes, that's nice. But have you seen this? And I'm not trying to minimize because God does heal. He does reconcile. He does work in the everyday stuff. But if we have no concern about our sin. Then we have no concern about a savior who's come to save us from our sin. And then all of a sudden, if we don't concern ourselves about the sin, which is an offense to God, and for which Jesus died, then we just turn God into a vending machine. We pick him up and we say, boop, 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 boop. I would like a better relationship. Boop, 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 boop. Here are my 25 cents of prayer. Give me a Coke. Or it's not 25 cents. When I was little, like two, it's like $8 now on inflation. I live in Zimbabwe or somewhere. Um, Just kidding. Sort of. Um, but. Here's my little bit of investment. God fix my life. And there are some churches and there's some preachers that are going to shovel that horse manure in your spiritual heart. They're going to say, if you just do enough things and they show up on the TV all the time here, I've prayed over this napkin. Let me send it to you because I'm such a big deal. I'm going to send you this napkin and you're going to swab it on your knee or whatever, and you'll be good. Just, just give me the seed money of $1,000. Oh, gosh, I could pick up this pulpit and throw it. That's garbage. But too often, that's, a, that's a sort of an extreme example. But, but we have that tendency in our hearts, too, to minimize sin and to maximize our, our present physical or in-this-life problems so that we miss the reason for which Jesus came to die. Yes, he took our griefs upon him. He took our sicknesses upon him. But dear ones, he came to save us from our sin. Save us from our sin. Save us from enslavement to Satan and to save us from the wrath of God. And if we will not deal with sin, then we cannot deal with Jesus. And if we won't deal with Jesus, then we'll have no joy, peace in this life and we will be dead in our sins. Healthy or not healthy. We'll be dead in our sins. So trust in Christ. So, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> so he lays down, this man comes before Jesus and son your, son, your sins are forgiven. And so you see, and I'm not, I'm kind of reading something into the paralytic that the text isn't saying, right? He doesn't, there's no, uh, there's no, the text doesn't give us anything that the, the paralytic was somehow disappointed with what Jesus had said. But it's obvious from the text that that's not why he's there primarily, or at least at the first move of things. So there's a danger in minimizing sin and that way of saying, Jesus, just fixed my problems. But then you have the scribes who begin to say, wait a second. The guy who's supposed to just be a he's supposed to just be a miracle worker, though he's speaking the word, he, he's just supposed to be healing people. Who on earth does he think he is? Who on earth could, does he think he is? You, you imagine this, this rage begins to stir in these hearts. Of these religious guys. Say wait a second. Only God can do what you just said you did. Only God. You have no business. Just raise him from the pallet. Go about your way. You have no business Jesus. Because in their system. Yes God alone forgave. But God alone was so far out there. That deliverance was something accomplished. By their own legal achievements. They had so distorted the Old Testament and the, and the Old Covenant, what for them would not be the Old Covenant, but the Mosaic Covenant, they'd so distorted it to be a means of salvation. Of saying, if I just do these things, God will forgive, but only God can forgive. And this man has done nothing to earn it. That spirit of legalism minimizes sin as well. You might not think about it in that way. But legalism, right, where we say we can accomplish salvation, we can save ourselves by our own goodness and morality and whatever else, uh, that actually minimizes the gravity of sin as well. Because it takes sin from something that is breaking the holy standard of God and it takes it down into something that's manageable for humans, for people. It minimizes the gravity of sin, the gravity of breaking the law of God, of, of dishonoring him and going against him. And when we think that we can just be good enough and we can wipe off all of our badness by our goodness, then we've minimized the wickedness in our own hearts. Or at least that was once in our own hearts, and now lives as a vestige, a remnant. It's only in the gospel of grace. Grace where we begin to see that sins need to be forgiven because God is holy, but I cannot accomplish my own forgiveness. No matter how good I can be, I can't do it. And you can't either. We need this free. Your sins are forgiven. It's free to us, but it is immensely costly to Christ. Immediately Jesus turns to them and he knows that they're reasoning, and he's reasoning and they're reasoning, and he, he understands that they're upset because of what He said. You have this moment where Jesus I, you know, maybe it's just because I get a little little snarky. and Jesus is just like, "Oh, have I troubled you? Have I bothered you, little Pharisee scribe guy? Um, why are you reasoning these things in your hearts? Which is easier? Which is easier?" Which, which would you think is easier? Which is a lighter thing to do? To say, your sins are forgiven or paralytic, rise and walk? Which one's easier? Is it? See, that's the thing. I'm not giving you a, I'm giving you a hard time, but I'm not giving you a hard time. That's the thing. On paper to our eyes it seems more outlandish that the paralyzed man would get up and walk. Because how we see the difficulty or the ease of the forgiveness of sins is a direct picture of how seriously we take sin. If sin isn't that big of a deal, then we kind of say, Hey God, you can just sort of, here's the heaven's carpet, just put it back under there and we're all good. Or you can just sort of, you know, sweep all of our sin into the, the clothes, I mean, into the, uh, the closet, the clothes closet, or not the clothes closet, the coat, coat closet. I was trying to be like a funny picture. Anyways, But the closet where all the coats are that you shove all the stuff in when people come over. Do you do, you do that? <laughs> we don't do that. My wife's not in here. We don't do that. Or under the bed, or put it all on the bed and close the door, right? We, ex- we expect God to treat sin that way. That's when polite company comes around, just sort of scoot these things aside, God, when we all get to heaven. But dear ones, sin is much more costly. To forgive sin is much more costly. Yes, it is immensely, eternally free to you. And that's the only hope of us attaining it. But the forgiveness of sins cost heaven everything. You know, turn a phrase. Because it costs the blood of Christ. There is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. There is no forgiveness of sins without the atrocity of the cross. So that what Jesus does here is that he's, he's pulling from the bank of Golgotha and applying it to this paralytic. Let me take from the stored resources of what I've come to do that I know I'm going to do and I'm going to apply it here. Because without Christ's crucifixion, you don't get forgiveness of sin. Which is easier, he says to them. Get up, your sins are forgiven, or get up, pick up your pallet and walk. But notice, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority. That he has the the authority as the King of glory. As the Lord himself, as Yahweh himself. Remember chapter 1. As Yahweh himself, he has the authority to forgive sins. Then he says, rise, pick up your pallet and walk. That the external miracle of healing the paralytic is meant to validate the greater internal miracle that the sinner is forgiven by a holy God. The external miracle of the paralytic being healed to walk is meant to validate and prove to be true that the internal miracle or the spiritual miracle of the sinner forgiven before a holy God is true. Because it is obvious from this text that the greater miracle is the forgiveness of sins. And the thing that is more on Jesus' mind even as he's healing these people, this isn't to disregard Jesus's care for the sick and the broken and the hurting, but that there's a greater need underneath all human suffering, all human affliction. There's a greater need than just the alleviation of that affliction. And so it might be, as you consider your own suffering, your own affliction, and what you're going through, (coughs) are you right with God or is your suffering Physical, mental, grief, is it leading you? Is God by your suffering, is God by your affliction leading you to a greater faith in Jesus? To a greater belief of your need for the forgiveness of sins and what Christ offers for you in His gospel? Is that where He's leading you through your affliction? So Jesus validates his authority, proves his authority that he's the boss, he's the king of kings and the lord of lords. What's interesting is that in this text there's you, th- you see three offices of Jesus. You see it all over the Bible, but that Jesus is prophet, priest and king. He's our prophet, he's the one who come to communicate the word of God to us, the true word of God. He's he's there in the house speaking the word. <clears throat> He's our priest. He says to the the man, your sins are forgiven. He says to us, your sins are forgiven. If you believe upon me, my blood will make you clean. In him, we have redemption by his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. But he's also our king, that he subdues our sicknesses. And there's something here in Jesus's response to the scribes that I have to point out before we wrap up. We've kind of mentioned how Jesus is Hesitant to have his work spouted off everywhere. He wants to keep it a little bit under wraps because there is a, a political ideology that, that is attached to the title Son of David and Messiah. But we see Jesus use a title for himself that is very significant in the Gospels and it's very significant in the, uh, in the Bible as a whole. It's a a messianic title. It's the title of the son of man. That doesn't just mean that Jesus is man and he's like, he's the son of God and he's the son of man. He's both God and man. But son of man is a messianic title. It is a title of God's king that he is going to send upon the earth. Let me read to you Daniel chapter seven, 13 and 14, because this is Jesus as our king. I kept looking in the night visions. This is Daniel seven thirteen, And behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, that is the son of man, to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. That all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. You remember when Jesus first came preaching the gospel? The kingdom, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God, the dominion of God, rolling back darkness. And so you have wrapped up in this one person, He is the prophet who speaks the truth. He is the prophet who is the fulfillment of what God promised Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18. He is the priest who has come to do priestly work. That all of the priests and all of the blood of the Old Testament points to what Jesus came to do. He came as our priest who gives us absolution of the forgiveness of our sins through his blood. And he is our priest who now continues to intercede for us at the throne. And He is our King who subdues our sin. He subdues our sin within us. He subdues our sin external to us. He subdues our adversary and adversaries. He will subdue the powers and the principalities, the cosmic powers and the heavenly places. And He will subdue finally and fully Satan himself and cast him into the lake of fire. And He will subdue the world. For he is the king of glory and this is our father's world. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the father. This is our king and forgiveness is not something far away, but that they might know that he has authority on earth. Heaven meets earth in Jesus Christ. Sins are forgiven. The sick are healed. The dead are raised. The gospel is preached. And dear one, God is still in the same business. The kingdom of God will reach to all peoples in all places. God will have his people. And immediately he picked it up and he obeyed. Unlike the leper, he obeys this man who was once paralyzed. And they were all amazed. We've never seen anything like this. If you've seen a life transformed by Christ and his gospel, you know what this is saying. If you've seen someone who went from death to life, not just in words, but in life, you've seen it. And if we will be a church where Jesus is the attractant, then we need to be a church where all of this, this is true for each of us. Where where death once reigned in me, life now does in Christ. May it be true of you. What happens when you have a community of people who gather together under King Jesus, being transformed by the good news of his grace? You shine like lights. Become the light of the world. May we be and may you be. Dear one, I don't know the condition of your heart, all of you. But I do know your gravest problem isn't probably what you think it is. Your gravest problem is your sin. And now you might just be saying, well, that's the preacher saying that. Well, that's the Bible. That's the word of God telling you that. Your gravest issue is your sin. Everything else in your life could be peaches. And if your sin is not resolved, then you are not square with God and you are not square with eternity. Today is the day of salvation, Scripture says. Every breath that you have of every day that you have is an opportunity to turn to Christ in faith, saying, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus that he forgives sin. I believe that he died and that he rose. I would encourage you, if that's you, if you've never trusted in Jesus, that today would be the day that you turn to him in faith. You might be lame like that paralytic. You might be saying, if I could just get up off this bed. But Jesus says, let's deal with the first things first. Get your heart right. And then we'll deal with everything else. Christian, You've you've experienced the grace. You've seen the light. Is Christ king? And if he's king, go lay hold of the pallet of somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Go find someone. And at the very least, begin to pray for them. Pray that God would open them up. And when the opportunity comes, have that hard conversation. But may God lead us and may the Son of Man have that for which he died. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your sovereign ability in the face of our inability. Even in the, the weakness of this preacher, we pray that your strength would be seen. And Lord, in the In this moment, we ask that you would open up hearts, that you would open up hearts and minds, that your spirit would attend your word with power to accomplish your will. All for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.